This episode was brought to you by the brand new Jade Walker Anti-Bloat Tea. To find out how you can get 30% off, keep listening to this show. Do you wish healthy didn't have to be hard? What if there was another way? Well, there is. And it's the Jade Walker Way, where healthy is delicious, easy and exciting, and doesn't have to mean saying no to chocolate and red wine. Welcome back, everybody. It's still another shitty day here in Victoria, but here to brighten that up for you is qualified naturopath Lexi McPhee. Now, if you're someone who's battled with acne or skin complaints, you're definitely going to want to stick around for this one. This lovely lady is also a friend of mine from Endeavour College. We studied together, and I'm so pleasured to have you here on the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Jade. It's <laughs> awesome to be here making my podcast debut with no one better than yourself. Ah, oh, so, thank hello. you. Yeah. <laughs> and might I add, she was also my first ever official employee with the yeah. two business. <laughs> that one day you, yeah. you covered my ass when I um, I realised I double booked a market store. I was like, I need someone to do the other one for me. And you did an amazing job, by the way. <laughs> I think I did all right. I was flying by the seat of my pants the whole time. It was Christmas and super busy oh. and everyone's like, oh, did you make this tea? And what about this? And what about that? And I'm just like, um, yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, uh, yeah. Oh no, you killed it. There, but made some sales. So oh, definitely yeah. made some sales. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So as you might know, every person that comes on this show, first thing we jump into is I have two very important questions for you, and that is, <laughs> what is your favorite healthy food or thing to do, and what's your favorite indulgence? I have so many, but I narrowed it down and my favorite healthy thing is super simple but it's just a big bowl of steamed vegetables with some hummus and some raw garlic and some avocado and I can't beat that for just when I need some vegetables Uh, my favorite healthy thing to do that's not food related would be uh, I love going for a swim so swimming in the sea or a freshwater river or anything that's just like a little bit too cold uh, I find really invigorating and of course always thinking about the skin, it gets the lymph moving, gets the blood moving. Um, it's great for your mental health and it's rebalancing energetically. So love doing that. As for indulgence, this is another long list, but I would have to go for a margarita pizza, a cider, <laughs> and just lying on the couch on a Friday night with some Netflix and just, just letting go of the week. It's my favorite. Yeah. With some, with some pizza. Yeah. I love that. That is actually the definition of balance, I reckon. Like <laughs> you've got the invigorating cold swims, like a yeah. bit of Wim Hof method in there, yeah. Yeah. Uh, vegetables, and then, you know what, fuck it, Netflix and pizza tonight, <laughs> and why not throw yeah. a cocktail in there? <laughs> yeah, you got, yeah, yeah. I love Can't that. Go. Awesome. All right. So as we will be talking a lot about skin, because that is your specialty area in your within your business, Naturopathy with Lexi. First of all, I'd like to ask, why did you get into what you do? Did it have anything to do with skin? Mm, yes, I think like most naturopaths that have a special interest, there's always a bit of a personal story thrown in there. And I think it's because um, when you have had a particular experience with a condition, not only are you compelled to find out everything you know you can possibly know about it um, with all the options, conventional and alternative, but you have an understanding of how it affects people in other areas. Like with skin conditions, it's such a visible aesthetic thing. Like it's the first thing you look at when you when you talk to someone is their face or their skin. And so it pervades every social interaction. Um, it affects how you see yourself in the mirror. It affects mental health. 
so much more than I think anyone understands or realizes if you haven't experienced it. And so I had my own journey with acne and it turns out that that's just what I'm passionate about treating because I know the difference it can make to the, to someone's whole life. Yeah. So I can give you my whole life story if you like. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, yeah. No, uh, you're so right. We all mm-hmm. seem to have some sort of journey that brought us to naturopathy. I was talking about that on my last podcast, that it's not something that you decide at five years old, I want to be a naturopath. It's yeah. something that finds you. Mm. So you've had your own battle with acne and was that something that you healed before studying or was it like an ongoing process and studying helped you even more? I wasn't even thinking about my skin when I enrolled in naturopathy. So (laughs) it is something that just I fell into and then realized that I could possibly heal myself long-term with that. Uh, So I developed acne in my teens and like pretty much every other girl out there, I went to the doctor's office, got put on the pill, pill cleared it up nicely. Um, still had the occasional lesion, but, um, coming into naturopathy and learning what I was learning about, uh, side effects of the pill and whole body health and skin and just the holistic sort of approach. I thought, "Mm, I don't know if I want to be on the pill forever. So I decided to come off the pill and I'd sort of forgotten, I think I had forgotten about my acne until about six months after I came on the pill, like off the pill and it just, my face just exploded with lesions and pimples and patches and scarring and it was really awful. And so that's when I really dove into, okay, now that I'm thinking like a naturopath, what am I going to do about this? And went from there. Wow. And so this is something that a lot of women experience. And I have no doubt that there are a lot of women listening who either have been through this or are probably still battling it now and probably are still on the pill because they don't know how to come off and deal with what's hiding underneath. So in in your experience, what is it that is hiding underneath that the pill is masking? Oh, so many things. And it's not going to be the same for everyone. I think there is a hormonal component to nearly every case of acne, especially in women, especially when it's flaring up premenstrually. I think what the pill does so well is it suppresses that sebum production. So, that, um, you know, the oils that are being produced by your skin when you're on the pill that's being suppressed to like prepubescent levels. So your skin just isn't making the sebum that it would like an adult, which is great because it it reduces the clogging of pores and, you know, you get less pimples and acne and you think, great, it's working. But what's actually happening underneath is your body is compensating for that suppression. And so your skin still needs some sebum. So it starts upregulating the amount of sebum it makes, which means when you come off the pill and that sebum suppressing action is eliminated, your skin goes into overdrive, it's still producing sebum, it goes back up to adult levels, you have more sebum than you've ever had before. And not only that, your your ovaries are coming out of hibernation. So they're kickstarting into gear, you're getting um, a turbo amount of <laughs> androgens and things being produced. And then you've been left in a nutrient depleted state from the pill. There's gut microbiome imbalance. And so not only is your body still dealing with what it was dealing with before, it's now got to do damage control and a cleanup from like long-term pill taking. So there's quite a few things going on. It's really not as simple as, oh, we'll just reduce your testosterone with a pill and, and you'll be fine. 
Mm. Wow, I actually think you summed that up in the most fastest way possible. <laughs> that was, I think we can pick up now. So. Yeah, that explained it very well. Um, yeah. And I'm sure, yeah, obviously with you, yourself specialising in this area, you obviously see a lot of women coming in and feeling like the pill is the only solution for them, right? Yeah, definitely. And it's a cycle because you get lulled into a sense of complacency because your acne is away and you love your skin and, you know, you're like, I don't need the pill anymore, I'll come off that. Um, And most women find that because their acne then comes back with a vengeance and it's at its worst six to nine months after the pill, they think this isn't working, I need to go back on. And it's a bit of a cycle of on and off the pill. And they're not presented with other options, which we know that there are plenty of uh, other treatments available and yeah, it's a vicious cycle. Mm. And so flowing into the, the next topic of, you know, what is it that people do need to be doing? Obviously we know it is a, not a one size fits all, but what was, what, what were some things that you discovered within yourself that was driving your mm. own acne? Mm, so many things. This is a really <laughs> fun adventure. Um, <laughs> I think because I was still studying when I was treating my own acne, I was researching a lot into uh, diet, lifestyle, stress, the impact of um, nutrition as well. Um, for me, I tried a lot of a lot of different treatments, almost one at a time. So I got a good look at how one thing could work for a little while, but it wouldn't fix it completely. And so I would try something else. Um, so for me, it was a lot of giving my body what it had been deprived of. So for me, zinc was a major one. I think most women certainly don't have optimal levels of zinc, and that's because of the demand we have for it. It's needed for so many different functions in the body, from hormones to skin to immunity to mental health to sleep to energy production, everything needing zinc. And our modern diet just isn't high in it like it's found in seafood and oysters and shellfish and you know um nuts and seeds and meat something that women our age just aren't get meeting meeting the requirements for so zinc was a big one uh another one for me was dairy consumption so a lot of women are kind of aware of the link between dairy and acne and go oh no I don't really eat much dairy and I go okay so what about cow's milk oh only a little bit in my coffee what about cheese? Oh, occasionally a bit of cheese. So I'm like, so you are having dairy. Like it <laughs> might not be in every meal, but it's still there. Um, and so dairy was a big one for me, eliminating that and actually giving myself a chance to see what happened without it for like two months was a big deal because before then I got, oh, no, I've pretty much cut out dairy. I'm only having a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But the thing with dairy and the proteins in dairy is that it can take three or four days for those proteins to clear from the last time you had it. So if you're constantly having minor exposure, it's still going to add up over time, which is something I don't think a lot of women are aware of. So we've got dairy, we've got zinc. I did some gut healing, uh, which made a, a big difference because I had very red inflamed skin. So when there's very red, painful inflamed cysts, it's often a signal that there's a similar thing happening in the gut. So, I tried a few different things for that. I tried um, I tried Vitex, which is like a first-line thing that a lot of women know to reach for on the supplement shelf but isn't always the best thing to do first. 
So I jumped straight into that first and I found, yeah, it made a little bit of a difference, but actually not a lot, not as much as I was expecting. So, um, so now I know better and I don't dive straight in with Vitex, but <laughs> that's something else that women do. Mm. What else have I tried? I've tried um, uh, products that help clear toxins from the skin and the lymph, blood cleansing herbs. I feel like I've tried everything. I've tried <laughs> quitting sugar, topical treatments. Uh, it, I've tried it. I've tried it all. Tea tree, just everything. Yeah. And so what were the things that you found were, you know, maybe the top three things that made the most significant difference? Mm. Eliminating dairy, a good, a good quality zinc, and for me, gut healing. Although these mm. just aren't going to be the same for everyone, mm. you know. So, so some of the, some of the clients I see, you know, the, their diet's impeccable. They've quit dairy years ago, um, and and when I test their zinc status, it's not that bad, and they don't have a lot of signals of zinc deficiency. So I was like, okay, so in, what are the drivers for you? So it's going to be different for everyone, but for me, it was definitely yeah, zinc and dairy and um, and the gut healing. Yeah, and it seems that you know zinc and dairy seems to prop up with a lot of female related conditions Mm. Uh, as you as you pointed out zinc is just so important and we're often deficient in it and Mm. then on top of that the a1 protein in dairy is inflammatory so it's driving everything and I love that you pointed Mm. out the point with a lot of women saying I don't have a lot of dairy because they associate dairy with just liquid milk and then when they realize, oh, but actually I'm having some cheese and wine mm. with friends every weekend. <laughs> mm. The occasional ice cream and, and yeah. oh, don't forget yogurt. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's a lot more pervasive. And with the dairy thing, you know, there are, there are studies um, that tell us that the hormones and the, the type of proteins in dairy do increase insulin like growth factor one, which means that they do increase androgens, that sort of category of hormones that testosterone falls under and that does drive up sebum production. So there's a really clear link there. And I, I just, it kills me that women aren't informed this when they go to their, their first line um, health professionals for advice about this. Mm, Absolutely. And then, so even though this isn't really, well, it still is on topic, but um, not a question that I anticipated asking, but (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people will be listening thinking, yeah, but where do I get my calcium from? Mm. So what do you tell them? I would tell them to read the China study. <laughs> it's a very, have you read that? I have it. Look, I've, I've been yeah. uh, exposed to it in many other ways, but I've never directly yeah. read it, but I'm certainly very familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, first of all, I would advise everyone to go and read that book because I feel, and I, I feel, I always feel a little bit guilty saying this because a lot of my family is involved in the dairy industry. And so I feel <laughs> almost traitorous <laughs> for telling people to not eat dairy. Um, but if you read that book, you'll get a better understanding for why the West is so obsessed with dairy for their calcium needs when we can actually find it in other foods in bioavailable forms as well in, you know, green vegetables, kale, all our green leafy vegetables, um, as well as things like sardines, which are, all over a great skin food, you know, the sardines often you're eating the bones in them, which are really high in calcium with their essential fatty acids and your great oils and things that are all beautiful for that skin barrier function. It's so, so nutrient dense. There's just so many other options than, than dairy. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people overestimate how much dairy we need as well. Mm. Mm. They think mm. that we need like three glasses of milk a day or something, which we don't. Yeah. And then there's that, that kind of recommendation is based on the idea that we're all identical. Like what about our genetics and um, family history and, and what part of the world we're from as well with how much lactose we can actually tolerate. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and mm. then on top of that, what about the cofactors too, like vitamin D mm. to enhance mm. absorption in the bones and all those mm. kind of things, yeah. Mm. So what are some of the common mistakes people make when it comes to treating that acne? I think, you know, there are some women who, I guess, are a little bit stubborn and, you know, I talk to them, like they haven't actually seen me before, but they'll be telling me just in person, I've met them somewhere, who knows, and they'll be saying, oh, I suffer from really bad acne and I'll start offering some advice and like, oh, I'm already trying such and such. You know, do, is there anything that you see that big mistakes people are making? Um, yes. I think everyone's just doing what they can with the information they've got. So it's, it's difficult. Um, probably the biggest one would be over-cleansing mm. and um, overexposing the skin to products. And don't get me wrong, I'm by no means a, uh, an expert on topical skin products and treatments. I'm definitely more well-versed in the internal uh, realm. But in terms of overexposure to water, like cleansing, over-showering, scrubbing, that kind of thing, it what it really does is it's reducing the water – reducing the hydration of the outer layer of the skin, like that stratus corneum, um, which can basically put the skin into protective mode where there's, a again, enough regulation of sebum to try and protect that barrier. Like the skin has a really important job of separating our internal from the external. And so we need to make sure we're not scrubbing away and stressing out those those oil glands and things on the skin which are, which are producing sebum. So that's a big one. I think hydration, again, is underestimated so we've got the hydration of the skin barrier but also just hydration in general like we need hydration for um you know bile production and flow which is going to be helping remove those excess hormonal metabolites like estrogen metabolites and testosterone metabolites we need water for lymph to be flowing nicely if lymph is you know getting congested it's going to sit under the skin and cause puffiness and things are going to come out through the skin um other major mistakes would be jumping straight in with hormonal treatments like uh just self-prescribing chase t- chase tree and and well which is vitex because there's so many other layers going on it's not all going to be hormonal and so i think it's important to give the body a chance to rebalance itself before sort of pulling strings and dictating the hormones so so jumping in with vitex before addressing um, liver and diet and stress, I think, is a, is a bit of a mistake and some, can sometimes cause more problems than it helps. Um, those would be my main, my main ones, yeah. And um, what are your thoughts on oil cleansing? And I know that everyone is individual. Mm. Um, I'd prefer not to answer that. I don't, <laughs> I don't, think, I'd be, I don't think I'd be able to give a, a good enough answer on that one. Yeah. Fair enough, yeah. I mean, I, I'll... I must admit I do recommend oil cleansing to some clients and and one of the things that people often fear is, oh, but my skin's already oily. So, Mm. you know, what do you say to that then? There's often people um, associate oily skin with, oh, I can't put oil on my skin. Right, I understand what you mean. Yeah, 
I think now that I've had a, I've been to have my skin profiled and have been given a treatment plan that's good for my own skin, I feel like it's just changed everything I thought about um, oil cleansing and, and moisturizing. I used to be a really big advocate of rosehip oil and things like that, which I'm still a fan of. Um, rosehip and jojoba oil have a very similar profile to the skin sebum. So that can be good in terms of actually helping to balance what the skin is producing. So it is counterintuitive to apply oil when you feel like you've got oily skin. But by applying those those plant oils, it can help the skin manage its own sebum production. And also um, buckthorn seed oil, which is really rich in omega-7, that can help with balancing out the, the oil that the skin is producing as well. Um, I just wouldn't have it be the only thing I was doing. Mm, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think I think it's like a good general general thing to do uh, as long as the oil is high quality and it's been stored properly because if it's not been stored properly, um, it can turn rancid very quickly and so that's not going to be helpful for the skin. But um, in terms of topical treatments, I'd really recommend going in and having something put together by someone who's using Demovigils um, because for me, that has been the best thing I've done topically for my skin, and uh, and they're, they're, yeah, they're experts in it. So not sponsored, but um, but yeah, in terms of topically, because I know for myself that I did a lot of damage to the barrier of my skin by using every topical treatment I could get my hands on to try and fix my acne. Um, before I understood the importance of internal work, and so for me now, it's about restoring that that barrier function of the skin. Yeah. Mm. And I must say I did training in Derba Vigils last year. Oh, really? Yeah. And oh, it's, it's phenomenal. And for those who aren't familiar with it, it's kind of like naturopathy, but for skincare products yeah, because it's, yeah. it's tailored. It's very much about um, making up a prescription skin um, product for you. Yeah. And it uses that liposomal delivery technology so that it's actually whatever that nutrients is, it's wrapped up in like this lipid bilayer so that it actually mm. absorbs across the skin barrier and delivers those nutrients where you need them. And it was actually within the training that I learned about the way that rosehip oil can work for some people with acne because it allows the P. acne's bacteria to sit on top of the skin instead of inside the hair follicle. Yeah, Um, right. Yeah, which I found yeah. really fascinating. But yeah, like you said, yeah. it doesn't work for everyone. For everyone, yeah. A lot of people uh, don't put it in the fridge and, you know, being mm. an essential fatty acid, it um, goes rancid. And mm. what about... It's just not going to be enough either. It's just not going to no. be enough in most cases, I think. So, um, so that's why, you know, I'm hesitant to give like a blanket recommendation on rosehip oil, but it, mainly, yeah, I think it's a good thing. And I think you, you brought up a good point with the acnes like the that's been a pretty popular theory for acne it's oh you'd have too much of this um type of bacteria in your skin yeah i think but i think because the skin has its own microbiome as well as the gut like it it, it's got its own population and it's got its own balance and i think in in normal levels that 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 p acne's bacteria is actually a commensal so i don't think again just using antibiotics or antimicrobial therapy is going to fix acne either, which is a conventional treatment, like low-dose antibiotics. Yeah. Mm, that, that flows on to another good question. What's your thoughts about using antibiotics for acne? Oh, shut up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, 
Oh, it's a tough one because I know what it's like to just be so desperate that you'll do it anyway. Like it's it's like cost first benefit with this kind of thing. And that's for me as with someone with an understanding. I think I not only can I not recommend it because I'm not a doctor, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it because I'm a naturopath. Mm. So low-dose antibiotics should just not be used long-term. I think they're over-prescribed. For months, I see women. Hey, how are you enjoying the episode? Pretty interesting. Hey, well, I've got something else that I think you'll find pretty interesting too. I've released my brand new herbal tea called the Anti-Bloat Tea. And just as the name suggests, that is all it is and more. So around this time of the year, before Christmas, I can imagine that you're starting to suffer from the bloat when it comes to your Christmas parties, too many mince pies and one too many wines, if you know what I mean. I know personally that for many, many years, having suffered undiagnosed digestive problems such as SIBO and IBS, I experienced bloating a lot. I just have so many memories of being curled up on the couch after a big meal because I'm so bloated and just waiting for it to pass because I had no idea what you could do to help it or prevent it. Now, of course, being a naturopath, I've got all the tools that you can imagine to help to prevent it, treat it, support it, reduce it. And this is why I created the new blend, the anti-bloat tea. Now, there are a lot of bloat teas out there on the market that may contain your classics such as peppermint and fennel, and they are beautiful carminative herbs that are also found in the anti-bloat tea. However, the one thing that I keep seeing that they fail to address is actually supporting the body's ability to produce digestive enzymes and gastric secretions. And this is because quite often bloating is because you aren't able to digest foods properly and that lack of your natural production of enzymes. And that is why I've also added the beautiful herb Angelica. Angelica has been used for a very long time in digestive formulas. And this is because it has bitter actions, it's a cologog, it's carminative, and it helps to reduce spasms. So the way a cologog works is it helps to produce bile, and bile is really important for fat digestion, and it's even a prebiotic to probiotics, would you believe? Angelica also increases gastric secretions, so this is really important for actually breaking down your food to alleviate that discomfort. So apart from angelica, fennel, and beautiful peppermint, we also have ginger, which helps with gastric emptying. And this is really important when you're feeling full and can also be a cause of reflux and nausea. Finally, we have lemon balm. Lemon balm's a beautiful carminative as well. It's similar to peppermint. It also has some beautiful volatile oils that helps to calm flatulence and griping. On top of that, lemon balm's calming, anxiolytic, and a mild sedative. So you may also get a bit of a blissful action from that as well. The brand new anti-bloat tea is now on my website. And in the pre-sale phase, I'm offering all Jade Walkaway podcast listeners 30% off if you use the special voucher code at the checkout, which is TJWW as your coupon code. Head to jadewalker.com.au to get your new anti-bloat tea and say goodbye to bloating this Christmas. On low-dose antibiotics and often they do see an improvement in their acne but frequently this is because of the anti-inflammatory activity of the antibiotics rather than actually killing off of bacteria. So the antibiotics are actually inhibiting the bacteria's ability to produce those, anti, those inflammatory chemicals, which 
when the when the hair follicle and that that gland is inflamed, that's when we see the redness and and pussiness and infection and and you know all those signs of inflammation. So I understand how it works. I understand that it can work, but I think the damage to the gut and the mucous membranes in the gut and the the overall micro overall balance of the microbiome is just to me that is just not worth it. I think there's so many other things we can try before resorting to antibiotic therapy. Mm. So with things um, such as antibiotics and the pill, naturally people are anticipating this big breakout when they come off those things. Is there any work that you overlap with those whilst they're on them so to prevent that big flare-up or is that something that they just have to, you know, expect and we just manage? Uh, I think there's definitely – I definitely do use treatments before coming off the pill to minimise the effect I think it's realistic to still expect some worsening and acne coming off the pill, but I think we can minimise a lot of that by preparing the skin and, and nourishing the body before the withdrawal of, of the pill. So what I like to do is start repleting some of the nutrients that, have, that I've identified might be deficient in the person taking the pill, which is zinc is obviously a big one. Um, so supplementing with zinc not only is going to help things like the immune system, which we know zinc is important for, but it's also going to help restore balance to androgen production. It's going to help with getting ovulation going pretty quickly after coming off the pill because a lot of women struggle with, they don't ovulate for months after coming off the pill. And so they're missing out on that progesterone, which is really important for clear skin. Progesterone being one of the hormones produced following ovulation. Um, Zinc is also it's, oh God, it's important for so many things. It's important for upregulating skin cell turnover. So the actual repair of the skin, it downregulates that keratin production and keratin is what often gets clogged up in the pores, which creates um, a pimple or a cyst. It's, it's going to, you know, reduce that androgen production following coming up the pill. It's, it prevents scarring. Like it's, it's, it's key. It's, I can't, I can't, say that enough and you know with zinc if you've had a chronic skin condition for a while and even if you do get some zinc in the diet it's going to be getting consumed and stored and then used at a rate that's really hard to keep up with so anyone who's had a chronic skin condition they've had a huge demand for zinc for probably a very long time and so it can't hurt to top that up and you know it's going to help release vitamin a from the liver vitamin a being really important for for skin health and 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 gut barrier integrity and all those mucous membranes vitamin a is really important for so zinc is my big one getting the diet in like on track before coming up the pill is a good one so just removing those things that we know are going to be exacerbating androgen production and sebum production like dairy and and getting blood sugar under control so you're not craving those carbohydrates and chocolate and sugar um and then usually i like to get started on some herbs because why not let's let's create the foundational you know a good foundation for coming off the pill so you're not dealing with crazy acne forever it's there's so many things we can do. Mm, and i'm going to bring up herbs in just a moment but whilst we're on the topic of probably not the best conventional treatments. Let's talk mm. about Roaccutane for a moment. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Tell me what your thoughts are on that bad boy. Uh, I know a few people who have used Roaccutane and, look, it's worked really well for them. They, 
their skin is clear or, you know, clearer than it's ever been. Um, but interestingly, with Roaccutane, most of the trials that were done with Roaccutane were on cases of moderate to very severe acne, and and they saw markedly like you know huge improvement when when the acne was severe. But with mild to moderate cases, the improvement isn't actually that great. And so, Roaccutane or you know isotretinoin, it's a it's derived from vitamin A, so it's it's like taking a very high dose vitamin A, which means, and most women are informed of this, of course, is that it's highly teratogenic, which basically means that it causes birth defects if you're uh, pregnant at the same time. So it's kind of like a, it's a double whammy of medication because not only are you taking this isotretinoin, which is teratogenic, you also need to be taking the pill or some sort of like multiple forms of contraception are usually recommended, something hormonal like the pill as well as, you know, condoms and that kind of thing. So you're on the pill as well with all of the the potential side effects and, and negative, you know, outcomes of the pill. And that can be, you know, you need to be on the pill before, during and after treatment, which can be six months. And so your body is undergoing quite a bit of medication, you know, that your liver and kidneys have to deal with, that your gut has to deal with. And, and what isotretinoin does is with that, that vitamin A derived action of suppressing the oil glands in the skin, it's, it's extremely drying to the skin. And so women I know who have used it report that their, their lips are peeling, their skin is so dry. They just cannot moisturize their skin enough. Um, they've got dandruff and, and I believe photosensitivity is an issue too. So um, you're more likely to get sunburnt. And so I don't know if you've ever checked out a pamphlet from a Roaccutane packet or an isotretinoin packet, but the list of potential side effects is a mile long and it's actually quite terrifying. So again, I wouldn't rule it out because of the, the mental health in- outcomes for people with severe acne is so, are so poor that I wouldn't rule it out. But it really, for me, it would be a very last resort. I'd want to be trying every other potential treatment under the sun before I would go with anything like that. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And I think that's like that with a lot of things, isn't it? It's like, we want the best outcome for our, our client. However, mm. when it comes to mental health, the thing with Rakutane is it can actually worsen exactly. people's mental health. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It can worsen pre-existing mental health. It can, um, you know, trigger, trigger suicidal ideation and suicidal thoughts. Um, which is really scary considering that people with um, people with chronic acne, they're already in a pretty, most people are already in a pretty horrible place mentally. You know, we know that with acne, the mental health outcomes are sometimes worse than people with chronic pain syndromes as well. So there's poor employment outcomes. There's obviously reduced self-esteem and self-confidence, anxiety, depression, like the, the flow-on effects of acne are not trivial at all. You know, it's not just a skin condition. And then you think about the fact that 85% of the population will experience this at some point, you know. So it's the mental health side of things can't can't be underestimated either. Mm, Absolutely. My husband went on Rakutame when I first met him and he he would get back acne and Mm. it was those real swollen red inflamed. Oh, painful. Yeah. And, and, you know, I wasn't even studying back then. I didn't know what I knew. And he was like, this is the next best thing. And, 
and he's a pretty chilled out dude. Like he, you know, um, always when I first met him, you know, always chilled, always pretty positive. And when he went on Rakutane, he had a shorter fuse. He started having nightmares and he mm. really had to dig deep to fight what was coming up in his mind. Mm. Um, and I just thought, you know, for some people who are more vulnerable, that's wouldn't mm. be good. And the other mm. problem as well that, I mean, yes, it did clear up the acne at the time, to be honest, it, it still came back. Mm. Um, and getting onto herbs in a moment, the thing, the only thing that has helped it to clear it up is depuratives and lymphatics. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what has happened though, as a result of the Rakutane is because his natural sebum production is now permanently lowered. His keratin is so much higher and he's, if he's not careful, he's prone to those really inflamed ingrown hairs under here. Oh, right. And, and yeah. they sometimes like, uh, you know, and I was pointing to my chin area there. Um, so they would like swell up like golf balls. And oh. you could, yeah, and you could yeah. just feel that hardened keratin um, wax mm. in there. Yeah. Like a nodule. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's and, awful. And I assume he's shaving and things as well. Mm. So there's extra friction, extra irritation, um, and things like that going on. Yeah. Which, especially when you've got back or chest acne, is a big deal as well. The, the fabrics that you're wearing, um, whether you're doing exercise, what sheets you're sleeping on all of that kind of thing, how frequently you do your laundry, what do you use with, you know, what do you clean with? Like it's that it can become a lot more severe in those areas because of the extra things involved, like the friction, which we just don't have on our face most of the time. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And that raises another question I wanted to ask you about is, you know, why do some people get this and other people don't? Because we can sit here and tell people you're going to have to do this with your diet. You're going to have to change your linen and whatever and people say mm. but but my friend doesn't have to do that and she doesn't get acne you know let's talk about the genetic predisposition here your friend will have something else yes that you, don't want, you know <laughs> like, I think absolutely I just think there's just no there's just no point with that because you, yeah your friend's gonna have something else going on um I'm not super sure about the genetic side of things other than it's pretty obvious when there are genetic comp components because, you know, you, it'll be your sister or your aunt or your mum or your grandma or someone else, you know, who's had acne in their youth. But I think it will certainly be tied into the genetics around how we um, metabolise and excrete hormones as well as, Genetics and, you know, lifestyle factors are pretty handed down as well, like in terms of diet and stress and how we handle stress and um, tolerance to dairy. You know, you can see in the iris, often I'm looking in the iris to see, all right, so what, what's your blueprint? Why, why what, what are the major contributors for you? And because we do receive, you know, our iris formation and fibres and that kind of thing, that picture, a lot of that is genetics. That can be helpful for seeing all right, well, for you, actually, you've got, you got stress rings in your, in your, in your, um, sorry, your skin and lymphatic zones. So we know for you, stress is going to be a big one. And so I guess that's my approach to it. Um, in terms of particular genes and that kind of thing, I, I'm not going to claim to know much about that. <laughs> but I guess I reckon the, the best quote I love is by the building biologist, Nic Nicole Bilgema, and her quote is, genetics load the gun. And the environment pulls the trigger. 
So. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's why I'm not always focusing a lot on genetics mm. with my clients because it's not fixed. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't want people to think that they're just assigned to this condition because it's in their in their genes. And that goes for acne, but everything else as well. And I think it can be helpful to know where these things have come from. But does it really change my treatments? Not always. Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I love that. I think that applies to so many things. And I remember in the beginning starting out as a naturopath and you would freak out when someone would come in with a specific diagnosis, like multiple sclerosis mm-hmm. or Alzheimer's. And you'd think, mm. oh my gosh, what's the protocol for this? Like, what is it? And you mm. strip it back and it's the same thing. It's like address those nutrients, address that, that health mm. status. It's it's not rocket science. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And removing obstacles, which I think is something that naturopathy does so well compared to other modalities, well, not other, conventional medicine, I guess is what I'm trying to say, is removing the obstacles to health. Like that can do so much. It's so simple. It's just like before we leap in with um, superhero doses of, you know, vitamin A and things like that, what what can we remove that's going to do, take the least amount of effort and money, you know? Yeah. Difference. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, there are all these beautiful herbs and supplements that we can prescribe, yeah. and not everyone can afford those. But yeah. if they're happy to take things um, slow and steady, and sometimes it's not slow, it can be quite quick, but diet and lifestyle and, and mental health is, you know, those Always. three key things. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. But diving into our our own super herbs. <laughs> Yay. What, 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 <laughs> My favorite part. Yeah, me yep. too. What would yep. be maybe your top three or so <laughs> herbs that you find you're, you're giving a lot of people with acne? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, only three. <laughs> no, you can go on. <laughs> so, okay. So I'm always using some sort of, some sort of berberine containing herb. Um, and there are quite a few herbs that do contain berberine which is a type of compound that I won't get too scientific but so herbs like um Oregon grape coptis don't use golden seal too much because of it's in you know it's endangered and and coptis has actually been found to have a higher percentage of um berberine so I use coptis a lot and that's because berberine is helpful for reducing the excess androgens which in turn are going to help reduce that excess sebum. It's anti-inflammatory, so it's helping to reduce inflammation in the skin. Um, it helps balance blood sugar, which is a really big one for many people. Um, and it's it's antimicrobial, so if if there is an overgrowth of certain bacteria, berberine can be really helpful. I also use a lot of, like you said before, blood cleansing, depurative, alterative acting herbs, so things like yellow dock and red clover. I love burdock. I often combine burdock with, um, with red clover if there's like cysts on the cheek, like deep cysts on the cheek or in the forehead. Burdock and red clover is a nice combination for that. I like blue flag, which is also called iris. Blue flag and, um, and red clover is a great combo for that jawline and neck type acne, and that's because blue flag is a great lymphatic herb as well. It actually helps remove toxins and things and wastes out of the skin and then supports the liver to excrete them as well. So I love blue flag. It tastes disgusting, don't get me wrong, but blue flag is one of my favourites for sure. Um, and then 
general lymphatic hairs like cleavers, uh, poke root in very, very, very small doses if there's really cystic or, you know, a buildup of pus and like really just congestedness. I, I like poke for a little quick, hard poke it out of there basically. <laughs> <laughs> and then some other of our, you know, gentle lymphatics like calendula and echinacea are great. Echinacea, if there's also a lot of acidity going on, it's helpful for, for removing those, those lymphatic acids. And calendula is our all-round beautiful skin-healing, restorative, lymphatic herb, anti-inflammatory. Um, and I like to use calendula when there's also a lot of gut stuff going on because not only is it healing to the skin, it's cooling and healing to the lining of the gut, which can be really important if there's also food intolerances and IBS or candida or things like that going on in the gut. Calendula is a great yeah, speaking of the gut, I don't know if we have time to get into that <laughs> in relation in, but um, often, you know, people will come to me and go, I want to deal with my acne and my gut. And I go, okay, well, that's good because they're connected and, you know, helping helping the gut will have a flow-on effect to helping the skin. But often in adults with acne, there's also things like constipation going on and bloating, reflux and, and heartburn and bad breath. So just overall sort of stagnation you know on a constitutional level there's a lot of just sitting around of things and build up of things and if we can get all that moving and optimize the digestive function and help out the lymph a lot of that can 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 help Mm, and you pretty much expanded on what I was going to say next anyway but if berberine didn't do enough of all those things you listed already obviously berberine's so good for um dysbiosis and and helping to inhibit that bacterial overgrowth I mean I use berberine for my SIBO clients in many ways and yeah yeah, and of course yeah hormones and gut are just so intertwined it's not funny of Mm. of course and and inflammation in the gut if we've got really red inflamed skin um, and a lot of bacteria in the gut that are producing inflammatory, you know, chemokines and chemicals and things that are then getting into systemic inflammation. It's all just in, sorry, systemic circulation, I should say. Then by reducing that dysbiosis and balancing things out in the gut, you're going to get less inflammation everywhere else. Mm, absolutely. Oh my gosh. It's just really at the root of everything. So before yeah. people go out and just decide I'm going to buy some copters, I'm going to buy some red clover <laughs> today. What do they need to know before they go and just self-prescribe like that? I just don't recommend self-prescribing full stop. <laughs> I'm a really big advocate for going and actually investing in seeing someone who can find you a prescription that's going to suit you. I can't even tell you how many dollars and how much time you will save by doing that. If you're thinking if you want to go to chemist warehouse and pick up a few of the herbs that I've mentioned and then you find that you don't get a great benefit or you get diarrhea or something like that, you know, it's it's – much better and much more effective and you're going to have a better health outcome by spending probably the same amount of money over time in just in just doing a couple of months with a naturopath I just that's my biggest recommendation although if you are wanting to start somewhere on your own I would just stick with nutrition and pick up a good quality zinc or something like that rather than um, jumping straight into herbs that is such good advice absolutely Mm. and Mm. I'm sure you and I can both relate in ways 
before studying or even as a student because we're mm. all tight on money and mm. I, I'll put my hand up. I, I reckon over the years of trying to save money, I ended up spending yes. thousands of dollars yes, because I'm like, same. I can't afford to go see a naturopath. I can't afford to see someone. Uh, I'll just do it my own way. And yes. like you said, it yeah. might not work. Or, and also, um, you know, not only may it not work, for some people who don't understand, they will all of a sudden discount natural health altogether because they're like, oh, well, yeah. I tried that and it didn't work for it me. It didn't work. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. You and to- what people don't understand is that in over-the-counter preparations, well, there's a few good ones out there, when it comes to herbs, the quality and the, the amount of herbs in a tablet or a powder or whatever you're using in over-the-counter preparations is not going to be the therapeutic dose because we can't just have people willy-nilly prescribing and taking herbs in high when they don't know really what they're doing. So if it doesn't work, it's because you haven't invested in a, a product that's got a therapeutic dose and you're not, you, you may not be dosing it correctly and you may not even need that particular herb. You might be taking something that you just don't even need and missing out on something that you do need. And like you said before, hundreds, hundreds, thousands, I would say, in dollars in trying to heal my skin when I could have spent maybe under a thousand dollars to see a naturopath for a couple of months and, and try some, try, try a personalized prescription. Yeah. But you can't go wrong with a, with a good quality zinc and, you know, taking maybe 25, 30 milligrams a day of zinc and, and doing that for six weeks because of the, you need to give anything a good go for at least six weeks that's really important. You can't really go wrong with that. As long as you take it with food and you don't get queasy and throw up and <laughs> e- email me saying that I proposed to you. <laughs> oh yes. I had a couple yeah. of those over the years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I learned my lesson very quickly in the start, even though through studies, we were taught, make sure they have a full stomach. In the beginning, I was just giving out zinc willy nilly and totally forgetting, like have it on an empty stomach. If not, have it at night, you know, all those things. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, sure enough, I got a couple of, um, slightly upset people, but (laughs) you'll learn your lesson. Yeah. That's right. And I mean, it happened to me. I did it to myself. Um, Mm. I still do it sometimes. I don't learn my lesson. Yeah. (laughs) Tablet of zinc in my pocket on the way to work. Mm-hmm. haven't have just had a banana or something and I'm like oh my gosh I'm actually gonna throw up in yeah. my car right now <laughs> so yeah oh yes I have totally done that before or like yeah. convince myself I'm pregnant even <laughs> oh yes <laughs> but I not go to work babe. Yeah. <laughs> that's it uh, so yeah. when it comes to diet obviously you're saying you know if, you, if someone is going to do something themselves you know good nutrition and zinc would be the only thing you know the the best start what is the best diet then obviously everyone's individual however people are always asking what's the best diet natural sources of zinc again so um if you don't like oysters and you don't eat meat you're going to be a little bit stuck um but pumpkin seeds a good quarter cup of pumpkin seeds as a snack or something like that is going to be great but in terms of just general dietary guidelines i would be opting for a low gi diet so um, whole foods, as opposed to a high GI diet, I'm not sure how much people know about this from high school health or whatever they've you know, been exposed to, but when you're talking about GI and the glycemic index, it's basically how quickly is your body going to burn this up and respond to it as a sugar? I'm trying to simplify this as much as I can. You're doing well. When, when it's a high GI food, like lollies, um, simple carbohydrates like bread, pasta, chips, processed foods, all your junk foods, all your pastries, baked goods, all these kind of things, they're really high GI. So the body's going to take them up really quickly into the bloodstream 
and have a very quick spike in insulin, which is then going to drop very quickly. And, and that spike in insulin is what's going to be affecting things like androgen production and sebum production. And so you want to stay away from those high GI foods and go for low GI foods, things like whole grains, oats, nuts, seeds, um, fish. I love if you can get some fish in your diets and just a tin of sardines on some toast with some avocado is a really good idea. Um, and adding, adding protein and fats to your meal is going to bring down the overall like glycemic index of the meal as well. So if you can have some protein and fat with every meal is a really good way to go. Assuming you're able to digest it and everything probably. Um, yeah, there's no specific diet, but I would say that there are definitely foods that are more beneficial for the skin, like melons. The melon family is actually really great for the skin, like um, pumpkins and cantaloupe and that kind of thing can be helpful. But making sure that you're you're not reaching for those really high carbohydrate foods and you're staying away from dairy would be my mainstays. Mm, interesting. Yeah. And interesting about the melon family. I never knew that. Yeah. Knew that. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So, and my next question was going to be what would be your top nutrients, but I feel like we've probably already answered that now. <laughs> oh, I think vitamin A, um, vitamin C, essential fatty acids, mm. protein. Protein's a big one. Like I think people underestimate their protein requirements. You mm. want to be going with gram per per kilogram of body weight in most cases. So what about when it comes to topical? I know you said obviously internal is your domain and that's obviously the thing that's going to get everyone the, the most improvement anyway. But are there any topical things that you do recommend people or don't recommend they use? <laughs> uh, yeah, it depends on the person. It's so individual. It's really it's really difficult to say. I think it's more not so much what I recommend but what I, yeah, what I don't recommend, which is scrubbing and overwashing. I don't think um, using like alcohol and really stripping chemicals on your face, including so not tea proactive. tree. <laughs> 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 you know, ads are pretty compelling. I didn't consider it myself. But, no. um, but yeah, n- avoiding over cleansing is a big one and just not, oh my gosh, don't pick your skin. Please don't pop your pimples. Mm. Like these are more my, my skincare recommendations more than this particular product that and that is something that I would like to do more study in but again I think there are people more qualified than I in topical treatments and so so for me it's yeah don't pop your pimples don't scrub it your skin even though you I know what it's like to just want to get the pus out or to take the head off it or whatever it is um you're going to leave yourself open to scarring and infection so that's important to avoid um, and I guess it's always going to be avoiding as many chemical laden products as possible. And if you are going to choose, um, you know, like a, a toner or a moisturizer or a cleanser or whatever, just go for something that you can actually read the ingredient list on the back. If you can't read the ingredient list, then i maybe stay away from it until you get better advice. Yeah. And what about makeup? Mm, I wear makeup and I've always worn makeup pretty much every day <laughs> because I still can't get used to the idea of not needing it to cover my skin <laughs> with with acne and the occasional pimple and scarring. Um, I'm not going to tell people not to wear makeup, but maybe to choose more natural, organic makeups. So um, at the moment I'm using Inica and Iaporus, which I like. They're not too heavy. Um, and I would make sure that you're just cleaning up your makeup properly at the end of the day, like with a water wipe or something before you're doing your skincare routine. 
so that you're not, if you're using toners and things like that, you're not locking things into, or, you know, astringing things into the pores. Mm. Um, and again, with makeup, giving yourself a break where you can, like on the weekend or taking it off as soon as you get home from work instead of at 10 o'clock at night and things like that. Just Or the next day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> do that. Um, yeah, just damage control on the makeup front. But again, most people with acne are just not going to be comfortable not wearing anything. So it's not really great advice to tell someone to not wear makeup if you don't know what it's like to have acne. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree with that. And I, I think exactly, you know, just finding the right ones and yeah, Inica and I of course, I love too. They're so good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, I think this has been one of the most informative episodes that I've done so far. Oh, awesome. All your information is just gold and I have no doubt people are going to be wanting to listen back and actually take notes. Um, <laughs> but most importantly, hopefully reach yeah. out to you and also come and see you too. Yeah, that would be, I'm always happy to help. It's my favourite thing to treat because the feeling of people coming back in and saying, oh my, you know, it's less red. I've got less lesions. It's not painful now. It's just the best feeling. Yeah. Mm, And we haven't mm, even covered it all. We're going to have to do round two. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. We can. I think, I think hundred percent, everything that we've got here to talk about is so good. So the way that I wrap up my shows is with two more questions Mm -hmm. and that would be, so first, what is your number one recommended health hack? Oh gosh. Um, Okay. This one's not sexy at all. Um, (laughs) I'm going to love it then. Chew your food. (laughs) Chew it. Yeah. Chew it into a paste, into baby food consistency because you can be eating the best diet in the world, but if you are wolfing it down on the run and you're stressed, you're just not going to be breaking it down and absorbing to your full potential. And so that's my number one health hack. You'll digest better. You'll absorb more nutrients out of your food. You'll, you're encouraging every digestive process and that's just, that's my health hack. <laughs> oh, hundred percent agree. And yeah. I think, like you said, it's not sexy, but unfortunately all the, the best advice is all the old school you know, back to basics, chew yeah. your food. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah, and I think people think that they chew their food, but if you actually pay more attention and become aware of, okay, what's the food in my mouth like before I swallow it, you'll find that you're barely chewing it at all. And, you know, I, I want it to be baby paste chewing like 30 times before I swallow anything. And that'll slow you down as well and keep you fuller, which is, you know, always a, a good good thing if you're prone to overeating. Mm. Mm. Oh, I can relate with that. I remember when I was, you know, uh, 18 to 21 years old, I was always the one that would finish my meal first. Yeah. I ate really fast. And it wasn't until going to Endeavor and going to the student clinic one day and they told me to actually be, you know, eat mindfully, chew your food, think about what you're doing. And I was like, wow, this is taking me forever to eat my food. Yeah. But now I don't know any other way. And yeah. I would feel sick if I were to not do that. Yeah. You want to be the last person finishing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> and like you said, it's a good little hack to feel fuller too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So if there was one thing that you could change in the current healthcare system, what would that be? This came to me straight away as soon as you asked me. Um, informed consent. And education, because I can't tell you how many clients say to me after I've explained something or, um, 
you know, talk to them about a medication they're on or even just reading through test results, they, they say, why didn't my doctor tell me this? Or why didn't they say anything about this? And I, I know, I don't know if it's because of the severe time restrictions that doctors have on consults and that kind of thing, or if it's because they're trying to maintain a level of knowledge across everything, or they just don't know. I'm really not sure why people aren't being informed, but I think that's something that really needs to be improved informed consent around how medications and treatments work, what the potential side effects and risks are, and what the what the length of treatment is going to be because the duration of prescriptions is often a lot longer than what's been researched as safe. And so that's really important to consider. And then just edu- general education around people's bodies and, and systems and, and the condition that they've been diagnosed with needs to be improved. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that so much, particularly with that, the information that patients are being not given. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I think all those reasons that you speculate there would all be at play, Mm. I would say. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely nothing personal against conventional medicine or anything like that, but it's just, it's just, you can't claim to be receiving like informed consent from a patient if they're not aware of these things and that's just so so foundational to the principles of medicine that you know it needs to be improved in my in my absolutely yeah yeah I agree well this has been absolutely fantastic Lexi and I'm sure people are going to want to know now where the hell do they find you (laughs) so what's your what's your Instagram handle that's what everyone wants to know (laughs) yeah my Instagram handle is at naturopathy with Lexi super easy and from there you can find my website and my blog and some resources on my website and what else I'm up to I'm basically only on Instagram so if you head there you'll be able to find out all about me and and I give I like to share a lot of things there so yeah amazing oh that that's you and so much more yeah (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much Lexi this has been so informative and I'm so grateful that you have come on to be able to share this information for everyone out there who desperately needs it and hopefully people now feel more hope again that they know that there's help for them yeah look I I think I never thought my skin would clear up and you know it has and I still if I don't take care of myself I still get the occasional pimple I probably always will but it's so much better than I could ever expect it after after what I've managed to do with it so yeah so thanks Absolutely. for having me it's been awesome you're welcome thank you yeah and thanks for hosting this it's a great thing for people to be able to listen to so well done oh thank mm. you you're All welcome right. bye bye Are you enjoying the show and want to show some love? Well, hit subscribe and leave me a five-star review because this is what helps the podcast to grow. Take a screenshot and even share it to your Instagram and tag me and Lexi so that we can see it and I'll even reshare it. For more information, head to the Jade Walkaway Community Facebook group where you can ask me loads of questions and I'll be sharing lots of weekly advice. See you in there.